Blog Talk Radio. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. Welcome to Saturday Morning Serial, the show where we talk all about that culture of Saturday morning cartoons that not only did we grow up with, but also seems to have grown up with us. Uh, all right, the uh, the first thing you need to know is who your friends are, and that would be me. I'm your host, Dan Grimshay. Uh, I can't really vouch for these guys, but I worked with them for a while, so let's uh, introduce you around a bit. Uh, Marky, are you on the line with us? Hey, everybody. Hey, there's our friend Marky. You can say hi to him. Uh, Jimmy Lazinski. Jimmy Lazinski, the gent. Tell me you're on board. Greetings, citizens. All right. And and you know what? Uh, uh, we, we don't have Johnny Heck this time around, but we did bring in everybody's favorite uh, G.I. Joe, He-Man, and Transformers expert, our buddy uh, from Open Your Toys, Slick McFavorite. Are we, oh, I think we just lost him. Hello, Slick. Are you there? See? Oh, he is there. <laughs> and uh, he's bilingual. <laughs> that's great. So we've got introductions all round. And yeah. since we've got, I was, this is just off the top of my head here. I'm thinking since we've got Slick with us, and I know Netflix just put out this new Transformers show, uh, let's talk about the Transformers a little bit. And then what the hell? Just uh, I'm, again, I'm just kind of uh, I'm vamping here. Let's also do an interview with the uh, with the composer of the new show. Yes, Mr. Alexander Bornstein. If you say so. All right, let's do that. Do you guys have any problems with that? Not at all. Not over here. It sounds like a lot of fun. I think we do it. All right, let's it, do it. But it let's not waste fun. a lot of time. So uh, I say I give you about three and a half, four minutes. Slick, get us up to date. Uh, what is the Transformers? Where did it come from? What is the entire history? Where are we now? Go. <laughs> uh, Transformers, uh, by the name, is a Hasbro brand of transforming robot figures from the 80s. Three and a half uh, minutes. <laughs> Originally, uh, they kind of pilfered designs and engineering from across multiple Japanese toy lines to kind of cobble together a storyline in which they could uh, hawk their wares here in the United States. So, uh, a product of Hasbro just ripped off a bunch of Japanese toys to put together a story. What? uh, What? 
<laughs> they didn't rip them off. They they paid the licensing fees to be able to use them. But yeah, so you're you're going to have uh, toys from the Micro Change line, from the Diaclone line, um, even from what is now owned by Harmony Golds, but uh, the uh, Bandai Transformers line. So that's why you have a figure like Jetfire, Skyfire that's. Uh, basically a jet from Robotech or Mosquita, as it's called in, in Japan. So, yeah, they... I honestly they never thought, knew any of this. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and those toys, you know, like uh, a micro-change laser beak, you know, is, is some of the most expensive toys out there, um, especially to find box, because this is all before people figured out, oh, my God, toys might be worth something. So, yeah, they, they so wait, borrowed. Did, did, let me ask, did Transformers rip off GoBots or the other way around? No. no, GoBots actually came out before Transformers, believe it or not, but they didn't rip them off. Uh, the, the idea and the concept of Transformers was already being formed when Tonka put out GoBots. Um, but yeah, GoBots hit the market in '83, and we didn't see Transformers until '84. But Transformers were based on already a bunch of existing toys, so the plot thickens. And all right, I'm sorry. Let's move on to the next phase. No, no worries. And uh, so the, yeah, that's uh, considered Generation One. And then uh, towards the late '80s, early '90s, they did Generation Two where basically they just repainted a lot of their existing toys into new, vibrant teals and pinks and yellows colors for that kind of changing time. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The exciting teal and pink and yellow days. Yeah, a lot of neon. <laughs> a lot of neon. 84, yeah. 85? No, no, this is like 89 going into the 90s. Whoa, so oh, does this is how they tried to revive the line, and that was very short-lived. Um, and then it, it just goes crazy. Like, there is literally, you know, people talk about the dark days of Star Wars where there just wasn't anything for, you know, 10 years or something. But Transformers have never been that way. They've, they've always had stuff coming out. They're, there's always been media to support it. Especially if you count some of the Japanese exclusive cartoons that have never been uh, dubbed, at least. So the only good way to watch it is uh, with subtitles and that kind of stuff. And well, it's uh, it's probably better if you know Japanese. Yes, much better. I I do not like. <laughs> it. I, I I'm one of those people. I'm a huge movie buff, and I hate reading movies. You know, <laughs> I, I I watch the classics. I force my way through them, but it just takes me out of it. But yeah, and they've just evolved. They've done. God, I don't know. There's probably 13 different Transformer series. So. You know, you can just kind of think, especially if people aren't, you know, crazy Transformers heads. Like, think of how many you've actually watched in your lifetime. It's, it's probably maybe two series or maybe three at the most. Yeah. But, the, but all of these series, they came after the toy, right? Uh, yes. So, oh, like, yeah. the first series was basically like that classic 80s marketing move of, making a cartoon to sell a toy. Yes. 
yes, definitely. They they created the line with the thought that they were going to produce a comic and a and a TV series based on it to sell them. And and it's and it's like a Pandora's box. Oh my God! They can't it, stop. It, Even it, Michael Bay made six of them. Yeah, nobody and, likes. And, and you have, well, and in the community, you you have Bay fans like you know one of one of the people that were hosting on our podcast like think that the Bay designs are so much better than any of the G one stuff because Bay's whole thing was I want to make it look like it's a car transforming into a robot, so I want to see pistons and engine parts and carburetors and you know all this kind of stuff so well are there toys based off the bay designs where they actually yeah i mean but it looks like the same because it looks to me like optimus prime has nine carburetors sometimes when he well and that's the whole thing is he's like i want it to look realistic and then you're like kind of like well (laughs) Oh, well, what a, a, a car looks like. I've, I've seen one <laughs> in certain stages of, you know, disassembly and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and there's still way too many fucking parts on those designs. <laughs> so, but there is, it, it's small. But, yeah, just like any community, there there's people that are just going to love every single thing that ever got put out. And, you know, they can do no wrong. And then there's people like if it's not 1984, it's trash kind of thing. And uh, where do you fall on that spectrum? Um, I can appreciate I can appreciate every aspect of Transformers to a certain extent. Um, the the Bay movies like had no expectations of the first one, loved it. Had high expectations for the second one, hated it. Went into the third one with really low expectations, kind of liked it, you know, kind of thing. Um, Bumblebee, that was kind of a reboot to the series. It was a prequel, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so I I have found things I love about all of them, Um, but yeah, I'm still I'm still the '84 cartoon guy, you know, and at we were talking about this before we came on there. The 86 cartoon movie is like my epitome. Like if I had to sell every Transformers in my collection, uh, the only ones I would keep are the ones associated with the 86 movie. Like that would be where I drew the line. That's so, uh, yeah. Ultra and, Magnus, and that Hot Rod. Yeah. Well, and the great thing there is the beginning of the movie is all like the original ones. So you can say, oh, I'm keeping all the original ones, and I have Hot Rod and Galvatron and, you know, that kind of shit, too. And it's the first time in, uh, you know, it it is an emotional moment when your favorite toy in the whole world, you know, mine was Optimus Prime. I got it for my birthday. (laughs) I got it for Christmas. And I still have it, and I still have the styrofoam. I don't have the box. But the the styrofoam. styrofoam How did you keep the styrofoam but not the box? I don't know. I don't know what happened to the box. It's your parents so just have a styrofoam, styrofoam shelf in the garage. I, I put the styrofoam in a shoebox with the Optimus Prime, and you know it's about it's probably about ninety percent there. I don't your mother have, probably watched you do it, just shaking her head. Yeah. 
What are you doing, Neil? <laughs> and when that happened, like when that movie came out, because it's 1986, right? You said, was it 86? Yeah, that movie. Yeah. 86. So that puts me at around nine years old, eight years old. Yep. And um, Prime was my character. And they had these trailers that were showing on TV. And it's teasing you. Does Prime die? And if he does, who feeds the Autobots? And you're like, what? Prime could die? And so you you like kind of go in there waiting for this to happen. And spoiler alert, he freaking dies, along with a lot of other Autobots. Starscream, um, uh, he also dies. In a way, Megatron. I mean, they, yeah, they basically just kill off the original toy lines yeah. to make way to bring in all new toy lines. Yeah. Yeah. Which is classically what those Saturday morning cartoons kind of did season to season that would introduce the new characters you had to go by. I remember at one point, I I never got an Optimus Prime. I think one Christmas season, my parents were probably just late to the store or something. But one year I finally got a big transformer, but it was uh, uh, Ultima Prime. Uh, Ultra Magnus. Ultra, no, ult, it was something prime. Like it was, was he the... He was, was the he, white and blue semi yeah, identical, that, but and then he had like the uh, like the carrier instead of the cat. Yeah, infinitely that's, that's inferior. Ultra Magnus. That yeah. that was okay. I know it was ultra something, but well, uh, then that's why I was holding out hope because that was right before the movie came out. I was like, maybe he'll be the new Autobot leader. And he was. And spoiler, he was for. Yeah. 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was so excited to go home and play with him. And then. Well, well, and you know what? Uh, Go go watch it, kids. But uh, that toy did something really, really cool because it was basically a all white painted Optimus Prime was like the main semi truck of it. And then when you transformed him, you just didn't put his like hands on. And then you kind of you kind of hooked him up to yeah his little car yeah. carrier trailer was just a giant a uh, frame to make him yeah. bigger yeah it's, and a then, me- it's a mech suit it's a yeah. mech suit for, for a very popular for thing a robot mech suit yeah yeah and then um, but you you never saw Ultra Magnus as just the white Optimus Prime so yeah. that actually you know, I did when I opened that fucking well, present yeah, I'll tell you but that. That particular toy didn't have its own, like, it didn't have any narrative. The actual white Optimus Prime had no narrative. And then after the movie, which probably would have been, I have no idea, maybe season four or five of the cartoon? Season three. Season three. You you gotta remember, their seasons back then were like 60 episodes. Yeah, okay. So, So, yeah, they just kind of went. (laughs) And um, there was second and third grade. In third and fourth grade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a there's a story arc where Optimus Prime is brought back to life, and when he's brought back to life, he's all white. And so you finally have Calling a J. narrative. Tolkien. You finally have a narrative with the Ultra Magnus piece, and I I just remember being like, all right, now I can use this as Optimus Prime. It was a cool. It was a cool trick that the 
toy gods pulled on us in that particular moment. Uh, and I'm sure it was all planned out. <laughs> right? That old that Ultra Magnus toy was actually one of the one of the pre Transformer molds that they licensed. So they, they kept that one in their back pocket for like two years, three years before they released that movie. Yeah. Well, it was definitely worth it. Um, it came with a whole lot of choking hazard pieces. <laughs> it sure did. That's what <laughs> I remember. Little hands, it. and it had like those little uh, uh, primes, like trailer opened up, and it had these little missile launcher things, like in this little pod. Yeah. Uh, well, it had the those, big giant like artillery. Yeah. One didn't it, and then. Yep. And oh, it had like this little, um, like this little all-terrain vehicle in the back that had oh, like a yeah, the, the the little trailer hitch separated yep. and popped open so you could put a figure yep. in there, huh. which you only saw maybe twice in the series. Yeah, they didn't utilize so, roller very much. Roller. Well, I feel, uh, gentlemen, we may be uh, monopolizing the conversation. Jimmy, what was your first Transformer toy? Now this is the one where the robots are cars. <laughs> and then, am I remembering right? <laughs> You're not pronouncing that right. Cars? It's Robo. Cars? Robots are curs. <laughs> no, I love me some Transformers. Uh, but I'm not as deep cuts, and, and it's not as necessarily tied to my childhood. So I, I was graduating high school right about the time in 84 when this stuff was coming out. So I was aware of it and it was in my, uh, you know, in my, uh, periphery, but I wasn't, uh, buying the, those sort of action figures and like, kind of like when we talked about GI Joe and that era, era, era kind of escaped me as, at least as far as collecting toys and stuff, you know, stuff like that. But, um, I always, well, we that. also didn't collect toys back then. <laughs> Well, you're right. I, we I, I, would, we yeah, would receive them for chores sometimes. <laughs> we played with toys back then. Right, right. Very excellent point, sir. So, um, and then it wouldn't have been until my whatever late mid to late twenties when I started buying them and and collect with a purpose of collecting them and hanging on to them and trying to recapture my childhood. But uh, Transformers was always there, though. It was one of the big guys. Uh, my kids. Especially loved uh, that first Michael Bay movie. That was pretty hot. There is, I mean, I think that is something they did it so they can hook a new generation because you got to keep getting bigger and bigger, uh, and you can't get much bigger than Bay. So yeah, yeah they made a conscious decision, I think there. Like, and I've like, always wondered if it worked so well for the next generation. They did plenty of sequels, but are the toys? Well, uh, do your kids own any of the toys? Not any longer, but they did. At the time, yeah, At, yeah. You they sold have, them for drugs. We have, a, we have a, a a a tub full of Optimus Prime, <laughs> and, uh, Starscream, but they're but they're kind of they're not good ones like the old G ones and stuff like that. You know, they're a lot of them are just molded and static, and maybe they have a, a like a, a chainsaw on it or something that you could spin and a voice. But most importantly, they don't transform. Yeah, exactly. They don't even move some. That, that yeah. I would say, is not a transformer. Am I coming on too strong, do you think, Spiller, by no, making that I mean, there, there's divisions in the community. 
of if it doesn't transform, it's not a transformer. It, it, uh, it, that seems like an easy one to make. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, Hasbro's making, uh, if, if you're a Star Wars fan, you're probably aware of the Black Series. Um, if you're a G.I. Joe fan, you're probably aware of the new classified figures. These are six-inch hyper-detailed figures. They're making six-inch hyper-detailed transformers that look just like the cartoon. They don't transform, but they got all the articulation of a regular, like, Star Wars figure, that kind of thing. So Okay, but look, if, if you theory. tried to market to me... Uh, one of these, what, Dark Sector Star Wars, G.I. Joe's, what, what is it? Uh, Black, Black Series. Black, Black Series, G.I. Joe's, but it was like a really like hyper-realistic bunny rabbit. I would say that's not a G.I. Joe, which is why <laughs> if you give me a toy that doesn't transform from a robot into at least something else. I even had a bunch of those uh, transforming rock robots as a kid, and I was perfectly happy rock with them. Wars. Rock Lords, which I believe were part of the Robot universe. They were, yep. I was <laughs> perfectly happy with that even because it did something. Now, well, you I go think, ahead and put uh, Transformer a lot of it, though, on the top of the package, that motherfucker better transform. <laughs> I think that that's, that's where it's um, – uh, it's probably the greatest toy of all time as far as I'm concerned because it is – it's a it's a plane or it's a car that turns into a like a, a warrior, right? Yeah, it turns into a sure. robot. And, so, and, and <laughs> you might and even if you you like open it up and it's a shitty looking car, you still have a a little bit of hope that it'll turn into a cool robot. Yeah, yeah. And it's not even about it being a robot. If, I don't know how we're gonna say it on this show, but uh, it's. It's a character. It's a warrior, which is why you could probably, you know, if you put enough narrative on it, you, they don't necessarily have to transform anymore because now they're characters with personality and they're they're they've they're not just a toy anymore. They well, have then become call the the series the Warriors instead of Transformers would be my <laughs> call point. them the robots. <laughs> call yeah, call them the robots. So sometimes as cars, the robots of Southampton. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, that's that. That would be my gripe with those toys. I mean, that's got to be uh, no offense so to everybody here that I'm talking to, but that's some serious collecting level thing. When you're like, it is worth owning this much more expensive variation of a Transformers toy if it doesn't transform. I understand if you're going to leave it in the packaging, then who cares? Well, it's, if it's, currency, it's also about sure, the, but it's about the different levels of like it 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 is a toy in some situations to some, but it's also a character in some situations and to other people, and so there's just these different ways for you to own. You can own the character of Optimus Prime. You can watch the movie, watch the cartoon, or you can buy the Transformer of Optimus Prime. These things can all exist. All together, and none of it's offensive. Right. <laughs> so I mean, it's just, it's just about, offensive to my think intelligence. About, think about statues, right? Statues don't even move. They're not even a toy. But yet there are $3,000 Transformer statues out there. And, wow. I, and again, I want to say that is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you're, you're not making me feel better about the whole thing. It's Look, Pez, Pez dispensers are a huge collector's item. They have a rabid fan base. They can put out special issues, et cetera, so forth. But you never find a Pez dispenser statue that doesn't put out Pez. Actually, like you do. Contract. <laughs> Are you serious? Now I'm fucking mad at the Pez there's, people. There's, there's fucking pop vinyl Pezes. Yeah. They you don't know, put out so. big, giant, cute Pezes? Well, they this do do is. that as well. They they put out Pez that like you know you're talking about like I don't know fucking a yeah candy like like a two by Pez four square inch <laughs> Pez candy yes fine I don't care yeah. if it's different dimensions to make it work but if you're a no, Pez I'm dispenser you should dispense literal, Pez there's literal statues and and pop vinyl figures that do not dispense Pez of Pez. This is madness, guys. <laughs> Am I crazy for? All right, I shouldn't be going off. Probably, I guess that is well, crazy. It, but yeah, they're uh, just not leaving money on the table. Is what they're doing. They're no, just, they are. They have put <laughs> no, they're selling the table in a fucking every, garage sale. <laughs> every single format you could ever imagine. This little... is greed to the point of corrupting the very idea that these. Well, let's let, let's just get back into this idea that that they are characters because the actual position that Optimus Prime takes um, is this one of like valor and leadership, you know, like he is a character that you would put up there, uh, you know, with general Patton, you know, (laughs) this guy is, uh, you know, he has transcended, you know, he, he's this big, (laughs) Whenever you hear that voice, it means leadership, uh, you know, it's something else. It's not just a toy anymore, you know, like it's, it's something so, bigger. You're talking about Peter Cullen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, it's a epic voice, obviously, um, which they obviously hired him back to do the movies. Um, I smart you could hire someone else to do it. Well, in this new, uh, yeah, was, yeah, there's actually a most, new voice. What? Yeah, most. Uh, beyond that original cartoon, all of the cartoons have had Optimus Prime in them, and all of them are different people. Now they all try to mimic the original voice, and I think they, yeah. you know, they do a different job. Wasn't that <clears throat> wasn't that him also in the Michael Bay movie? Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did all the Bay movies. Thanks. I remember, and this was the the one time when. I mean, when it was the first one, when it was coming out, I was very excited for. Uh, and I watched the first, like, three or four in, at the drive-in anyway, I'll admit to. But I remember one time I was very excited to see one of the Bay movies was years ago. I actually drove up to meet Slick in, where was it, Anaheim? Botcon. Botcon. It was Botcon. I forget where. Yeah, I don't know where I was It was It was Botcon? It, it was. Say <laughs> that right. Uh, it was in Pasadena. Was where the con was. It was Pasadena. That's I, right. I was. I was uh, staying at on an employee rate at a hotel, so it was like. Yeah, still out like in Palm Springs, I think. So I left the day before to go yeah. pick you up. But you saved plenty, so and we drove, and we. But that that uh, not like. 
small con. I'm used to having to brave the Comic-Con. So this was a pleasant change, but a very small convention center, uh, and it was just about Transformers. So they could streamline all the presentation. They knew exactly who was going to be there. It was actually a pretty fun little event. It was capped off by a presentation in a relatively intimate uh, 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 hall there in the Pasadena Convention Center where not only did Michael Bay come out and talk to us, uh, but also Peter Cullen, surprise guest, came out and talked to us. And, and I, I think that place went crazy. We, uh, I, I was a part of it. I didn't realize how much I loved Peter Cullen until we heard his voice on the PA. This is the size of the con. Well, and it's and it was a like fan club membership thing for the longest time. Is they literally would have a banquet dinner on Saturday night. Like that's how you know small it was, kind of thing. Where maybe uh, everybody goes to a pizza hut together like a winning little league team. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, I mean that that was the greatest thing about that con is even with the general admission people, which we would have two days at the con before they would even let general admission people in. Even with general admission, we're talking about three thousand people, maybe at the most. That's not even and even still, the, the, everybody yeah, would just yeah, spit on exactly. them as they walked in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's one panel track, you know, like they would stop the panels to open up the show floor, you know, stuff like that. So. That's epic. Uh, hey, Jimmy, were you at the San Diego Con when, right before the Transformers movie came out? What year is that? But also, but, yes. Uh, 2006, it came out in 2007. So, so it would have been 2007. And I bet it was a summer blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if they had a panel or anything, but they basically just rented a 1980s semi-truck, you know, the square body, Optimus Prime body, Mack truck, with a full-on trailer, and they just wheeled it inside the convention center into the exhibit hall, and they just had it covered. They just had it draped, and it was Ooh. coming 20, you know, whatever year. Oh, genius. It, yeah, it was it was genius. They they didn't paint it. They didn't do anything crazy. It was you. You could obviously tell what it was. You know, it's like trying to wrap a fucking football. I mean, you you kind of know what it is. And um, and so yeah, like you know, it was such amazing buzz. So I would like to ask Jimmy if you were there for that, if you remember that, and then I'd like to ask Slick, do you remember hearing about that exhibit at Comic Con? So, Jimmy, do you remember seeing it? I was there. I don't necessarily remember that okay. at all. <laughs> but okay. if it was a Comic-Con, Flick. he was there. Okay. Right. Flick. I mean, I've been there every year. So, um, No, I do not remember hearing about that. My, my big collecting journey started in 2006 when I first got my first iPod and found out that there's other peep grown men that still bought toys. And, <laughs> and that's when I started learning about cons and all that and San Diego Comic-Con and that kind of stuff. So 
My first year at San Diego was 2007. Yeah, but do you remember hearing about that exhibit in the Transformers, you know, world? No, no. They weren't being a year earlier. Not that I remember. The news cycle for Transformers moves so fast. I mean, it's insane. The fan sites, they put out 12 articles a day somehow about Transformers. (laughs) I don't get it, but... You well, don't get it because you've done 200 episodes of Open Your Toys. <laughs> <laughs> with yeah, new with Transformers trans- news every single time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like perpetuating it, man. <laughs> I, I have to curate it. Like, I mean, there's literally podcasts out there that do three to four hour weekly podcasts about Transformer news. I, I cover three other lines, so I have to curate very carefully the Transformer news to squeeze it into two hours of Toy Talk. I could just picture him in, like, some giant office with, like, three ticker tape machines going constantly. (laughs) (laughs) Just, nope, 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 bro, this is going in. Nope, nope. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, uh, we, that, that kind of brings us into the, into the future. Uh, we were able to talk to the composer, uh, Transformers, War for Cybertron. Uh, have you guys seen this yet? Slick, have you seen it yet? Yeah, of course. Okay. Grim, have you seen it yet? No, but I listened to all the music. Okay. Jimmy, have you seen it yet? Yes, I have. Okay. Well, then. Marky, have about- you seen it? I've seen uh, uh, four sixths of it. Yeah, I have right. two episodes. And while you at home uh, try and do that math, I guess uh, what what Depending else is left to say, <laughs> except that uh, we, uh, what, what, uh, who are we talking to? Well, who's our uh, dream interview? Have, we have the composer Alexander Bornstein. Uh, oh. Jimmy actually, Jimmy actually talked to him. It's been about. It's been about a couple months ago, but we were um, uh, it was a embargoed interview for a while. And then they they allowed us to release the interview. And then it was Comic-Con and then it was Madness. And then our season ended. And so season premiere, this is the eighth season of Saturday Morning Serial. Why don't we bring on a whole host full of voices? Let's bring on uh, a big time guest with the big time property. Alexander Bornstein is our guest this week. All right, and uh, and and I I bet you the magic interview machine can get us there. Come on, magic interview machine, let's do it. Season eight, bring us somewhere. Meanwhile, about oh, how about let's start with your influences. Who would you say is one of your uh, major influences coming up as a composer? If I had to pick one, it would probably be uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, you know it's always kind of like a, a a bit of a tie between a few people. I was uh, growing up really uh, Goldsmith. Um, I'm a really big fan of uh, Joe Hisaishi, um, who's done a lot of the Hayao Miyazaki movies. Um, and then I'm a really big fan too, obviously, as lots of people are of uh, like Alan Alan Silvestri, and you know it's sort of like the usual uh, rogues gallery of composers that people are are influenced by. But I, I think I particularly connect with uh, with Goldsmith and Hisaishi. Mm-hmm. Is there um, 
as a young lad, uh, is there a young, is there a movie or a moment watching a movie that uh, inspired or in your musical year career as a young guy, is there a moment that it's, that made you want to do movies, compose for movies, as opposed to any other venue of, for musical outlet? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of, like, pieces of music that have sort of stayed with me, I mean, I, I think I definitely remember being, you know, you know, one of my youngest musical memories, maybe when I was five or six years old, you know, was hearing um, the theme from uh, RoboCop. Or back mm-hmm. and and Back to the Future, and those were those were two movies. You know, I shouldn't necessarily have been watching RoboCop, but I saw it anyway. Um, and you know, where all of a sudden, like the music really took on a life of its own, and I was all of a sudden like always paying attention to music in movies, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And um, those were those were the two that you know I was always trying to go out and like you know how do I listen to this music on its own? How do I get to hear more? Than what's just going on on screen, and that was those were the two that kind of introduced me to what soundtrack albums were, you know. And then once I figured out that you could, you know, get a soundtrack from a movie, then it was kind of like game over at that point, and I just kind of went down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. So, and that was uh, so. You were born in the mid '80s, is that right? Yeah, '86. '86, right? So you must have seen it on video cassette or something, or uh, the the yeah. The, it was, yeah, home video was kind of like the, the the gateway for a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I I saw you know some movies in theaters when I was a kid, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the, the I definitely you know it was always about like you know tracking down the video or the VHS and like sort of seeing it that way. Um, you know, and at that point too, like there was this like excitement about it, and it was also before the internet really took over too. So you did kind of feel. Like it, it was special in its own way because you, you know, you had the, this passion for all these things, and you know, at the time, those were popular movies. But there was no way to sort of continue the, the energy and the fandom the way that there is now with the internet. So for a while, especially with film scores, I did feel kind of like it was so niche that like no one really, I didn't really know anyone else that that talked about it or noticed it. You know, so and certainly not, you know, I'm not talking to friends, you know, and in elementary or middle school about, you know, the theme from RoboCop, you know, so it was, it was a right. very, you, it was, it was a very like, uh, I guess niche and esoteric thing to be interested in. Um, and obviously as I started going out to the movies more and, you know, made, you know, was making friends and sort of like, you know, got exposed to it and the internet itself took over too, you know, then it was a lot easier to find these other avenues to sort of keep talking about all this stuff. But, um, yeah, and it, it was definitely a lot of it was kind of discovering all this on video because a lot of those movies that I had this passion for kind of they came out either before I was born or I was too young to go see them in the theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, like you mentioned, that gives you a little bit, almost a sense of ownership over it, right? A, a certain connection to it, uh, to to it, whatever it, aspect yeah. of, of that movie that you like on the video, you can forward like if it's for me the cinematography for you the music like you can focus on that and play it over and over i mean kids can do it very easily these days but uh that was pretty unique back then yeah and you know and you had to kind of um you were sort of left to your own devices in terms of coming up with your theories and opinions about it you know like now you know every every fandom has its you know the web their websites and the message boards and the subreddits sure. and 
you know, there's, there's lots of places now you can go to have these discussions. And yeah, back then it was kind of just, you know, you or if you had a friend that maybe was into those kinds of things too, you could sort of maybe pivot the discussion into those other fields a little more often. Um, but yeah, you do, you did kind of have time to sort of take ownership of these ideas and these passions and these, you know, interests that, you know, maybe weren't quite as widespread uh, as they are now. And it's, uh, you know, you do, you do develop a kind of uh, a depth to those thoughts because you just spend so much time with those films. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, so that's like kind of just a little before the turn of the century as are there any, um, so let's say into the two thousands, are there any franchises that you kind of lean towards as far as superheroes or, or do you, um, or science fiction or are there any genres that you, that you prefer to compose for? I think, you know, um, it, it's you, in terms of things I like to compose for, it's usually more tied to, you know, in terms of like the story that's being told. And that's kind of what I really like it when I, when things, you know, if I feel like the story is really well put together, it doesn't, the genre becomes less important, but at the same time, I think I do probably have a preference for, you know, more science fiction type stories. I mean, that's, you know, those are the kinds of movies I, I grew up really liking. I, you know, like Star Wars and Star Trek and, you know, like a lot of other people, but um, I definitely probably gravitate more towards, uh, science fiction, and I was, you know, the kind of person that was probably more excited when the new Star Wars movie was coming out versus the new, you know, the next, uh, you know, Marvel film. And I, mm-hmm. I like them all, but I, I think my my interest would tend to get a little bit more peaked when it was, you know, oh, well, Rogue One's coming out, and that's a that's a big deal, and I need to know, you know, I want to know everything about it, and I want to, you know, I'll probably see it a couple of times in the theater and and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you uh, uh, you got your toe in there a little bit with the Lost in Space. Right. Uh, what twenty episodes? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah um, twenty episodes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say, uh, just tell, uh, go ahead, talk a little bit about that if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. No. Uh, Lost in Space is, is really fun to work on, um, and what's cool about that is I'm I'm working for uh, the series composer uh, Christopher Leonard, and mm-hmm. um, I've been working on and off with Chris for about um, eight years now. And, uh, you know, so I get to write additional music on that show. And it's, it's great because he, you know, he's an insanely talented composer. And, uh, you know, I, it's crazy because I used to listen to his music when I was in college. Um, you know, he did really great stuff for uh, Medal of Honor and Mass Effect. And um, so it was, it's really cool to be able to, one, write for a show that's as good as Lost in Space, but then also right. be, working, be working for a composer like Chris who, you know, is – there's so much to learn from in terms of what his abilities are. And, and on a show like that too, the, the palette and the, uh, you know, the sandbox is just so big, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's all there in the title. I mean, they're lost in space. And so yeah, yeah. there's so, there's so much going on and there's so much cool stuff that you can do. And like, I did a, um, some sound design in the first season for the robot, you know, and it was really cool to kind of like have that blank slate of like, what, what kind of sounds, you know, do we do, musically that help us identify what the robot is. And Chris was really great with kind of like throwing out some ideas and I'd kind of go off and work on some stuff. And then, you know, eventually we found a, sh- uh, a sound that the, the showrunner really liked. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a really neat uh, palette to work with. Oh, that's really, uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. That's, that's a nice uh, stamp to have on, um, on that series, right? You know, the, the, the sound design for the robot. I mean, everybody loves that guy. <laughs> he's yeah. kind of one of the, the, the breakaway stars. Um, and oh, so is that, a, yeah. 
Was that a similar situation on The Boys? Uh, you were listed as a composer. Did you um, um, work with the main composer? Did you compose any music on that? Yeah, that was a similar uh, situation where I worked. Uh, that was me working for Chris again. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, uh, that was that was a, you know I mean it's a wild show so it's a lot of fun to do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, we're not supposed to talk too much about about Transformers, unless. But I guess we can wait for. Do you know when it's going to come out, Transformers? I don't, I don't yet. Um, you know, it's coming out 2020. Um, but I think, uh, I don't know the specifics. Okay. Um, well then if you don't mind, we'll talk about it and then we can either release this after it comes out or we can edit it out when, uh, the, at least the Transformers references, but I kind of want to talk about how you, compose for the character? You have different musical stings or, or themes for each character. I'd like to know what inspires you about each character um, as, you know, maybe uh... <laughs> Yeah, totally. No, I, I think um, I, we can definitely dive in on it. I think, we, you know, if you want to coordinate with Andrew, it might just make sense. We can, if you want to put this out, you know, when the show has been released. Um, right, right, right. That way we that... don't have to dance around too much. Exactly. Yeah. Cause, and, and it's, and also too, like, I, you know, I'm excited to kind of, you know, dish on the music a little bit too. So I think, let's do it. Think, let's I do it that then. way. Yeah. The- hey, serialites, it's your old pal Grimshay here. I just want to warn you, we might be straying into some spoiler territory. So, Hey, if you haven't seen transformers, that's on you because we waited to put this episode out until it was released. So go, Watch this show, Transformers, on Netflix, and then come back and meet us. Listen for the second beep. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult. And I'd say it was probably the biggest challenge going into a show like Transformers is sort of having that weight of, oh, like, I'm not just writing a theme for anyone. I'm writing a theme for Megatron. And so it's mm-hmm. like there's a lot of – obviously there's a lot of pressure with that um, – and, you know, the showrunner, FJ, and I were, you know, taught, we had a lot of discussions back and forth about what this was going to be. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate to kind of have the time to really sort of like sit and think about this for a while. And so, um, you know, I'm really happy with sort of the musical structure of the show. Um, there, there are a lot of themes and they get developed and we get to really sort of like spend a lot of time with them over the season. Um and, or I guess the chapter is, is more specific of what, what this is, you know, it's chap, chapter one of the war for Cybertron trilogy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's the siege you know, of Cybertron. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, you know, so when, with the specific characters, I kind of decided to do a, an approach of approaching it by Autobot and Decepticon and then let those themes get developed in different ways for specific characters, you know, so mm-hmm. that, because ultimately the, that's a huge component of the show in terms of it's the two, you know, it's Autobots versus the Decepticons and sort of these warring ideologies. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, something that's really cool about the show is that, you know, it begins, it's like, it's the final hours of this horrifying war. And you kind of see that both sides are just, is, is, uh, they're completely dug in on 
what they think is the best thing for Cybertron. So really, musically, I started with, okay, it's these two groups of warring factions. And what I tr- so what I did is basically the Autobot theme acts as the musical anchor of the show. And the, uh, the B-side of the Autobot theme is actually the Decepticon theme. Because mm-hmm. we, so basically there's, there's a, at least an attempt at this kind of duality between at one point they were all Cybertronians and then mm-hmm. they broke off over this, you know, this civil war. So there's still this shared thing between them, but the Decepticon version of that theme is a lot more aggressive and it's a lot darker and it's much more intense because basically they, you know, they've taken this war to an extreme, whereas the Autobots are still trying to preserve some sense of, you know, trying to keep the planet safe, whereas the Decepticons kind of slowly go off the deep end and I think take things to an extreme that's not going to, it's not going to be good for anyone. Um, mm-hmm. So the music really tries to walk that line of, you know, there are two warring ideas here. And when I started going with the, when I took the music down that direction, that was kind of when I started figuring out how to build themes for, you know, different characters and situations, but it all comes back to these core, you know, thematic devices. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the, the Talk a little bit about what you used as far as instrumentation, because there's a lot, I, I've, I've got to listen to a couple of the songs. Uh, uh, I don't know, I guess not songs, but tracks. And, mm-hmm. uh, it, uh, it sounds to me very um, modulated, like technical. So I, I kind of want to know what you're using. Is it, is it heavily synthesizers? Is there any orchestra that's modulated in there? Yeah, it's a, it's sort of a, you know, it's a very dense uh, soundscape. You know, it's a lot. It is a lot of synthesizers. I have um, some analog synths in there. I have like a, you know, mini Moog and um, some modular stuff in for sort of the more the grittier sounding effects. Um, you know, but one thing I did do as well is I actually on, uh, you can kind of hear it in the, the sample one track is, um, I took the feet, the actual transformer sound, you know, when they turn from auto, you know, vehicle mode into bot mode and, uh, chopped that up and processed it into a rhythmic sort of sound. And you sort of hear it a little bit in the background throughout that track. And uh, the idea again, is just to keep pushing in this this DNA that people are familiar with, but also kind of trying to maybe hopefully do something new with it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so I use a lot of synthesizers, uh, a lot of software too. You know, um, I'm a big user of uh, Zebra, which is a um, BST instrument, you know, and you can do a lot of cool synthesizer stuff with it, you know, like arpeggios or, you know, leads or bass lines. And then uh, there is an orchestra element in there too. And that kind of acts as the, sort of the baseline, you know, because obviously, you know, for the more emotional moments and for the more, you know, action driven stuff, it is like usually do need to have some, you know, brass in the action or strings for the emotions. Um, And so there is there, it kind of walks that line and, you know, sort of, it's a bit of a everything in the kitchen sink mentality, but the scope of the show kind of warrants it, you know, it's a very large Mm -hmm. scale show. So you can get away with, you know, having orchestra and having uh, synthesizers and lots of big percussion and all that, all that good stuff. Um, do you use, is there a certain, um, say, instrument or sound or effect for each character or for certain characters? Yeah. Um, the Autobots have a very distinct uh, baseline 
that I, uh, I was, I figured I was messing around with sound design on, uh, the mini Moog. And I found this really cool, like if you, you know, rhythmic baseline thing that ended up in the show and it's in the end credits, uh, for the series too. And that's kind of there whenever the, the, you know, Optimus is basically kind of, you know, taking charge and the mm-hmm. Autobots are kind of doing their thing. The Decepticons have, um, this sort of low synth pad that basically it's, uh, it's just, it's got a lot of distortion on it and it kind of starts out very muted. And then um, it's set up so that as I put more pressure on my keyboard, it opens up the filter and starts bending the pitch and it gets very mm-hmm. dissonant and sort of unsettling. And that's, that's for more of the, you know, that the Autobots are cornered or the Decepticons are, you know, scheming or Jetfire's, you know, plotting his takeover as he always does, um, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of like, and so the, the, tends to be, you know, lots of more uh, sustained and tense textures for the Decepticons through Zebra or Omnisphere, which are the software, you know, the software synths that I use. And then the Autobots tend to be more of an analog, excuse me, um, analog synthesizer sound. And then for, for Cybertron, which is a character unto itself in the, in the show, I think, um, that there it gets a little bit more Vangelis-like, and I have lots of synth, lots of big analog synth pads that have these nice fizzy, warm, very wide open scopes because it's the you get to see uh, you know, a lot of the planet, and so I think there's a there's a chance there to really open up musically and do big, big flowing gestures with the synth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, kind of a sidebar: you mentioned the mini Moog. Is that the one that you the tube goes into your mouth and you kind of uh, you you bend the music with your mouth a little bit? Is that is that a Moog? No, that's a uh, oh, what is that called? Um, I think it's actually called a Squawk Box, if I remember right. Uh-huh. Um, the mini, mini the mini Moog is a uh, it's a monophonic uh, synthesizer, so it's the one that has all the knobs on it and then a keyboard attached to it, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's from the 1970s, and it's uh, it's pretty basic, um, but it's really great for kind of figuring out very like specific uh sounds and it's very raw um so you get a lot of cool you know old school analog feeling from it and so what i what i usually do is i'll come up with sounds on the mini moog and then i'll take i'll recreate them with software uh when i'm composing so it's easier to keep using the moog because you know when you're doing it on a real synth as soon as you start messing with the knobs the sound goes away or you'll get a new Mm -hmm. sound so it's easy it's easier to kind of you know experiment on the real one and then recreate it with software just so I have it for a future recall. Um, I, I had one of my questions was I wanted to know, but I, I feel like you've answered it already. I wanted to know how much of an influence the original theme uh, had on your work and how important, like, cause uh, to guys like me and my, uh, my fellow co-hosts who unfortunately couldn't be here, uh, they they want to know like that's a big theme and that's something that they kind of always sing around and probably is in fact one of their uh, ringtones right so so how I, I I mean I wanted to ask how how much uh, responsibility you took with that theme but I feel like you already answered it um, so I, I I guess I'll move on to the next question because obviously you, you do you you you're talking with a lot of passion and everything you do about this project right um, what yeah, about for sure. Um, were you a big fan of, of the Transformers? I mean, similarly, you mentioned that RoboCop was your big influence, so you're kind of uh, 
it's a, not a, a far leap to get to transformers, right? Still kind of robot-y and, uh, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, analog-y designs. What yeah, about um, – y- go ahead. Sorry. Oh, oh yeah. No, um, yeah, I uh, I was – you know, obviously I was too young, you know, when the show originally premiered, when, you know, G1 came out, you know, in the 80s. Um, but, you know, the one of my – things that I did when I, before I went to school in, I think it was first grade, it, that uh, was, I was in first grade in like 92, 93. And that was around the time that the sci-fi channel actually started broadcasting. And uh, one of the things they would do on weekday mornings was have like a cartoon block. And that was how I found, that was how I got into Transformers um, because they would air G1 every morning. And so I just got completely sucked in, you know, as a kid, it's, you know, they're robots that turn in from cars to robots or jet fighters to robots. Like, you can't really go wrong as a six- or seven-year-old. Um, right. So I, I got completely sucked into the mythology then. And then, you know, and then on and off throughout the years would always kind of, like, you know, be pulled back into it in one form or another. I'd have another phase where I fit, found out there were more shows that you could watch or I found out, you know, you know, when the movies came out. You know, so it's – it's always had kind of this, this presence, you know, and, and a varying awareness for me as a, as a kid, but to be able to be working on the new version of the show, you know, and thinking back to, you know, watching it as a kid is, is crazy to me. Um, so uh, you mentioned, you, you, so you're familiar with what tracks I have access to. You mentioned track one, two, and three, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, so those are the ones that I've heard. And if we're allowed to, maybe we'll play one of those here. Hey, everybody, uh, Grimshay here again. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, hell no, I'm not going to play it. I already told you Transformers is out on Netflix now. Don't try and get your free theme music from us. Sorry, I lost my temper. Uh, go ahead, Jimmy, take it away. It, it, we'll fix that in post. But <laughs> uh, So anyways, uh, you, you mentioned the how you blended in the the transformation sound the mm-hmm. and uh, I was I, so what I was specifically listening for was the robots in disguise quote is that anywhere broken down hidden in the DNA that I missed or in a future song coming up I can look forward to a track that as of as of now no um, that was kind of a discussion we had at the at the very beginning and we're kind of you know we're sort of there's a certain amount of you know I think reverence we have for that for that music that we're not at this point putting it in, into the show, at least for, you know, is, is for siege. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, we, we basically are kind of, you know, we wanted to sort of start this as a fresh uh, take. Now that's, I don't know what the future holds, um, but it's, you know, something that, that FJ, FJ and I talked about it at the beginning. And, um, you know, I think we're, we kind of took a, a, a step away from it because it's so important, because it's so iconic, I think the show itself is kind of taking a you know a step in a in a different direction in a really cool way that still honors the the all the content that's come before and the stuff that you know the the content that fans you know like and expect from Transformers. But um, I, I think you know we we didn't necessarily lean into the robots in disguise or the, you know, the Stan Bush song or, you know, some of the things that like the Robert Walsh and Johnny Douglas scores, uh, we're doing, uh, I, or maybe dare to be stupid. Probably that's not going to, Oh, wait, oh yeah. <laughs> the weird Al songs. Uh, yeah. 
But yeah, it's very, very serious, very, a very thoughtful take. And that, like I said, mentioned that the first three tracks uh, very, set just listening to it set the tone before I even watched the preview, the trailer. And between those two things, we'll have a link uh, to the trailer here. But the, it's really going to blow your mind, I think. It looks like a great show. The animation is incredible. Uh, it's kind of a 3D, but flattened. Then they flatten it back out, flatten it back down a little bit, right? Um, yeah, it's it's a very very cool look for the show, and I think I think I hope fans will will dig it. You know, it's it's, it's kind of a it's new, but it's familiar at the same time. Yeah, Mike, I have uh, some young boys, um, ten and fourteen, and it's hard harder and harder to get them interested in things that I liked as a kid because mm-hmm. they they just in there. I mean, to put it bluntly, it looks old, and they're not interested in that old technology. But I showed them that trailer, and they they can't wait. I mean the. The amount of detail oh, in the awesome. animation that, that's afforded with that, you know, the the, the computer-generated images, it's really it's really something to look forward to. And uh, is that your music in the trailer? It is. Yep. The, okay. It's, uh, it's from the the three the three tracks that uh, were set up for review um, are make up the the trailer music. They they obviously edited it, but it's the it's all in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Cybertron um, is in ruins. Damn it, Marky, I warned you not to give it away for free. But, uh, well, to be honest, this is a pretty cool trailer. I'm going to let it slide. Go on. Let it play, Magic Interview Machine. I fear. War is lost. Optimus, at this moment, we must focus on surviving as a race, not winning a war. Yet again. The Autobots have escalated this conflict to the point where we must answer their aggression with force. I empower you, Decepticons, to bring this people. On second thought, I'm getting a real trade negotiation with Naboo vibe off of this. So, uh, you know what? Magic Entering Machine, bring us to the end of this amazing trailer. This is not the life I imagined for us. It's a life worth fighting for. I think that was my producer dropping in with the with the trailer there. Um, <clears throat> what can you tell me a little bit about? Uh, sorry for jumping around. Then um, no worries. I'd like to bring up um, uh, the composer for Psycho, Bernard Herman who uh, scored everything in black and white by using the high and low tone. So I kind of want to ask, uh, I'd like to ask you, uh, how, how does color influence your music and your compositions? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I, you know, it kind of really is one of those things where I'd say, I don't know, I don't necessarily have the, I think the synesthesia where I sort of can, I have a strong association with sound and color. Um, that being said, though, I mean, I think I do, I do find myself going in certain directions, you know, and to, I guess, to, you know, bring back uh, Transformers into the, into the discussion, you know, when I was doing the themes, I actually had on, you know, each speaker in my room, a different uh, Autobot or Decepticon mm-hmm. toy, you know, from the, from the Siege line. And the, the artwork on the, the boxes is very, dark and it's there's lots of deep blacks and very rich purples and reds and um you know the the eyes of the 
the bots is also very distinct too. It's very distinctly red on Decepticons. It's very distinctly blue on the uh, the Autobots. And so I usually when I'm looking, you know, having those things around for inspiration is really helpful. And I think the color is a very important guiding uh, factor for that. Now, how that translates, what that translates into musically, I guess if, it kind of depends, you know, in terms of um, how it relates to the, how it related to the Transformers themes. I think it was kind of seeing a weight. So again, the, the deep blacks and the, the, the sort of rich swirling purples and these kind of very chaotic, you know, war images that are on the, the packaging. I think it sort of lends itself towards like lower tones, you know, and like, you know, low strings, low brass, and, um, you know, kind of not so much, not a lot of percussion as it relates to, you know, um, what I did for the Decepticons, which is a very intense, heavy sound. And I think the, the colors on that, on that packaging as a specific example, you know, kind of influenced me in that direction. Um, but then, you know, kind of the brighter, you know, the brighter hues of, again, like those, the blue Decepticon eyes sort of lends itself towards something more, you know, there, then it becomes more about French horns and brass and this this very distinct, powerful presence, but it's not threatening like the the Decepticons are. Um, broad in general, I think um, it usually lent, it usually helps to influence me on instrumentation. Um, but but sometimes I also am not necessarily being that cognizant of color. It's a, it can it's a very uh, it can feel very random sometimes, you know, in terms of like what what's inspiring you or, or what isn't. But I definitely think color plays a role as I, you know, as I'm working through things. Um, but it, but some, it, but sometimes I do find myself kind of just knowing what's going to work before I'm even taking into account something like that. I love uh, the visual image of you being surrounded by all the action figures and uh, the artwork as, as you're working. That's uh, I always, I always like to uh, picture what, what, what the composers are, are dealing with, how they're working, what they're composing to, but if you, you know, surrounded by toys, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, and it's, and you know, it's transformers. So like you kind of have no, you have no excuse, but I remember when we, uh, when we had our first meeting, I, I, I left and it was, you know, it was a cool feeling to like, you know, go into target and pick up a couple of toys from, from the show that I was going to be working on. Um, <laughs> but, but the, they, you know, Hasbro and Takara Tomy have done a really great job with uh with the, the the toys for this show and and it and it's you can see it in the artwork so it's great you know i'm very lucky one for it to be a show as, as good as this but also too that there's um you know there's so much quality behind like the the vibe and the atmosphere that they want you know as a composer it really helps build those those uh synapses in your head fire just a little bit faster when you're trying to come up with ideas uh-huh well, uh what about um your, your, what about your favorite Transformer uh, as a boy growing up, but also has that changed and now that you're working on the show? Yeah, you know, I think as, as a kid, it was hard not to be, you know, a, a big Optimus Prime fan. And sure. obviously the, the, movie, the movie really cuts deep on a number of levels for that reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was, he was, it was a very, uh, there's, a, there's a grounding presence and strength to him that I think, obviously, this is me thinking about myself as a kid. I didn't think this stuff as a kid, but I think you, I just, there was a, uh, 
a reliability and a consistency to a character like that in the show. And so I really liked him as a kid. But I think working on on the new show, um, I've really come to like uh, Wheeljack because he's sort of, uh-huh. you know, he's the he's the engineer. He's a bit of a, you know, of a wise guy. And but just, you know, always has kind of a plan to bail them out of a jam when things are really, you know, and I, I, I like that. And I like what they've, you know, his presence in the new show is really great. And, um, you know, but I also really like Starscream in terms of Decepticons because he's just such a conniving little jerk. And it's, yeah. uh, is always tr- trying to come up with something to, like, you know, further his own ambitions. And it's uh, that's that's just fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, everybody loves Optimus Prime, like as a kid. And then as you grow up, you get a more appreciation for the, uh, like, the, uh, the second-tier guys. Like you said, Wheeljack, that's a pretty deep cut, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear he's going to be in the show. So, I, uh, Alex, I want to thank you for taking so much of your time, right, uh, today. Oh, of course. I know you're a busy thank guy. You. So we're going to uh, maybe try to bring this plane down in for a landing in a little bit here. So I got two more questions for you. Uh, cool. The first one is uh, Little Marquee from San Diego, California, writes in, and he wants to know if you have uh, one of our favorite questions here when we talk to composers on the Saturday Morning Serial podcast, is we like to ask them for their elevator pitch for a theme song for a dog sheriff on a mining town on Mars. Anything you could, uh, from the shooting from the hip, as it were? Yeah, I think you you go big, you go orchestral, and you make it all about uh, how I'm a big dog person, so you make it all about how awesome dogs are and how loyal and heroic they are. So you use the orchestra with that, and then because you're on Mars, I feel like you got to put a theremin on top for just that other right. weird, you know, alien effect. And I feel like you mix those two together, and you can't really go wrong. Yeah, that's pretty good. Big and and that theremin kind of. Uh substitutes for the whistling you might expect yeah which a lot of people say hey that's a good that's a really good answer thanks man i like that and then Mm -hmm. uh so so uh so finally my final question for you today is um one of the tenets of the show is uh me and the lads here like as children we had to get up early on saturday morning pour ourselves a big bowl of cereal and fight for our favorite spot on the couch so we could watch uh sigmund and the sea monster super friends or whatever your favorite saturday morning cartoons were so my question for you, Alexander, is uh, what when you get up in the morning, what do you pour yourself a big bowl of? What's your favorite Saturday morning cereal? Oh, man. Um, it is a, a very dead heat between uh, Frankenberry, because it's, but it's seasonal, so I don't always have access to it. And mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. Uh, the other one would probably be Corn Pops. I got to tell you, uh, Frankenberry is my choice. We don't get a lot of Frankenberries around here, so tip of the cap oh, to you, buddy. Nice. Yeah, I, that's oh. when I get when I get at it. It's Frankenberry. Yeah, uh, a little break from the norm of the chocolate flavors. Um, yeah, it's September so, September through October, you got to go for it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's even harder to clean your bowls <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Um, so we've got uh, Transformers, War for Cybertron. We'll pump that up a little, a lot. We don't have any information on NXR. Is there anything else we can promote for you? Uh, no, no. I, I think it's just going to be uh, getting the word out on uh, on Transformers once once the release date's announced and um, you know all all that good stuff. 
last interruption, everybody. Again, I'm sorry, but uh, not to beat a dead horse, Transformers, The War for Cybertron is out right now on Netflix. And I know you got Netflix. Go watch it. It's a little tip from me to you. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Alexandra. I want you to stay safe out there. Hopefully things will get back to normal real soon. And um, uh, you have yourself a great day and take care of yourself. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much. You know what occurred to me as I was listening to that old uh, toy commercial? How much, like, how fast they had to talk (laughs) to get all of that in there. (laughs) He just introduced basically, like, uh, five from the Decepticons. There's, like, six, seven toys that they just introduced there. And they went in, like, like Optimus Prime's briefing there left no room. If you were two seconds late getting in the door, too bad, you missed it. Uh, the reason why I picked that particular one is because of all the Transformers that I had, the I still have the Metroplex. It's very incomplete, although it's, it, it is in one piece, but it is incomplete, and I still have the box and styrofoam for that. Box and styrofoam. Box and styrofoam. You cared about that one. But I don't think I have any of the guns, you know, any of – I'm sure there's a bunch of accessories that Slicks knows of, but um, I don't I don't remember I – don't, I don't have any of the actual accessories when it comes to that. Well, but, I don't want to get too lost down the rabbit hole on this, but I am curious. Was the Metroplex like the weird Transformers apartment building? That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Uh, it like turned into like a battle station, and it it actually I think it came with like a little tiny transformer, didn't it? Yeah, it had a little car that, that so, kind of. And so then, even uh, the playset itself transformed. Yes, yeah. I I don't want to sound like a broken record, but that's when things were better. Yeah, it was. Well, this is the the one problem with the Transformers line is that the scales were just all over the place. Right. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. You had uh, Megatron was a gun for us to play with as kids, but when he transformed, he was the same size as a semi truck transformed. <laughs> That's true. I remember yeah. struggling a bit with that when I was a kid. Like, is is he a, an eight foot tall gun when he transforms, <laughs> or is he a nine inch robot? And then Soundwave was a cassette player, and it was the it was an awesome toy because all of his cassettes were also Transformers, and then you had Ravage, which was one of the coolest toys of all time, is the Ravage toy. Oh yeah, the you, the, the Panther. Yeah, Panther, the, oh. a Black Panther, a Black Panther robot, even better. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Jimmy, there was a Black Panther cassette tape transforming robot. Oh, he's nodding off again. I think I think let's let's talk about this Netflix Transformers show that all you kids seem to be raving about. What's wrong with it? 
Go ahead. Take the floor. Anyone. <laughs> I got a quick follow-up about your toys. Uh, were any of them to scale? I mean, the gun was for you to hold, but the also Optimus Prime was still eight, six or eight inches large, so he didn't transform into a semi that you could get into, I mean, into a well, scale yeah. semi. You, well, so there was a scale problem between the Optimus Prime. I mean, that and, would be an awesome toy. Yeah. Um, I am speaking, just to clarify, of a in-universe scale, uh, meaning all of the toys. To one another. Yeah. Where you, you would have a... Uh, you would have, I'll take my inches off the air. Thanks. You, know, you would have a Lamborghini that is bigger than an ambulance, right? Yeah. You know, it, 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 it yeah. just didn't make any sense. So it did, however, mean there were a lot of tiers for toy prices. So, as a whole, it was probably, on a business sense, a better idea. Because maybe you came from a family I, I where you didn't get a Megaplex, but you sure got a Bumblebee for seven dollars <laughs> <laughs> come Christmas. <laughs> and you were pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even get me started on those mask toys. Wow, were those expensive. Whoa. But they were all to scale, and they came with little <laughs> action figures that could inter interplay with any of the others. Uh, yes, we'll do a mask episode maybe someday. Plus, now nowadays you have to wear them. So, I mean, there's not really much of it. <laughs> Does anybody know what mask stood for? Just I know we're a little off topic. Anybody remember? Oh, uh, mobile assisted skilled killers. Oh my I'm god! Pretty close. I don't. I actually don't know. I'm asking. <laughs> Anybody know? It's uh, like mobile assault strike, and I can't remember what the K. Motorized was. assault strike command. Crew, 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 crew. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All wait, right. Wait, so, how did, how did you know to fix it theory. at the end there? Are you using a Ouija board or something? <laughs> Sometimes they just come to me, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Captain Google. Uh anyway, we we who who did we just talk to there? We finally talked to someone from Transformers. Yeah, he was the composer, Alex composer, Bornstein. Yeah. Alex Bornstein. So, who's watched the show? I know we covered this earlier, but for those just joining us, I'm going to say I haven't. I have. I have. That's Marky. That's Slick so far. Bachelorette number three. I have. All right. <laughs> and Jimmy the Bachelorette says he has. So, you guys, what is good about the show? What is bad about the show? What's working? What's not? Is it worth my time? What's working? The music. Is phenomenal. <laughs> it is good music. <laughs> uh, it, you know what? It, so it's, it's just like that old. Because I swear he said like he it wasn't. About, you're not going to hear that. They, they, there's, uh, as he mentions in the interview, you can hear it a little bit in the opening noise. He deconstructs in the opening sound song. I mean, he deconstructs that noise of the transforming the kind of. And kind of breaks breaks that out throughout the opening uh, title song, but uh, other than that, it's it's pretty new and unrecognizable to other Transformer offerings. It's also really really subtle. Like a lot yeah. of um, one of the problems with the Michael Bay uh, franchise is that 
it's just so damn loud. There's just so much noise. And, well, there's and a lot of Bay like, movie loud. With yeah. Loud. Yeah. Huh? yeah. I mean, it's crazy, right? Definitely the but, philosophy there, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it, that's not what this is. There's a lot of, like, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of synth going on. You know, it's obviously, you know, all of that. But, like, there, it's really subtle. And I, I actually, watching it, I had to remind myself to listen for the music. Right, it's just so subtle. It's and well, I, that's what good music should. You right. shouldn't even notice it. Yeah, it just it just it just makes just, you cry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, now so I'm glad. Okay. Yeah, it is really Alexander's covered like a lot of the action in the show, which which kind of leads to one of my not necessarily complaint, maybe a critique or what maybe what doesn't work for me. A little feedback for is, season one. They're looking uh, for it. Let loose. There's there's a lot of flapping of the hinged jaws of these rusty <laughs> jaws. And there's not enough shooting and lasers and transforming and Megatron and that kind of stuff. It's all very much um like early just just deconstructing the whole story of the um, Civil War, right yeah. on Cyber. Yeah, yeah. And I, okay. I, I wonder because uh, even I have barely paid attention to the Transformers uh, story arcs over the years, but enough to know that a Civil War on Cybertron has been a constant. Yeah. So they go all the way back to the Civil War on Cybertron again. It sounds like right. This is this Do they be even like, bother plumbing earlier times? Are they at least going to be like, all right, now you're going to hear about what life on Cybertron is really like? This, this is, is all on Cybertron. To, if, we wa- if we had a whole six-episode miniseries about what the Waynes did before they went to that movie. Just about <laughs> very long and tedious, and, and and probably for deep cut for for big fans like you guys, right? I figured there like all this information and storytelling and drama was probably entertaining, but for me, more of a casual fan, I needed the shoot 'em ups and the punch 'em ups and the switch 'em ups and the transform 'em ups. All right, this let's, is, let's uh, go to the other end of the spectrum. Then was slick. Uh, did you appreciate all the tedious care into the building up of the Cybertron mythos? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I okay, wanted, we found a problem. I kind of wanted it to do the same. Again, it's we're talking about where they – so this entire first series is wrapped up in about 10 minutes on the original cartoon. Like 10 minutes, they – there's these two factions. They're fighting for control of this planet, and then they got to get off this planet as they show first up. First half Earth. of the first episode. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and I think I think um, I always thought I wanted this. I, I think I always thought I wanted a lot of backstory, but now it's because I know so much backstory. I mean, the comics, they – they've had transformer comics for 30 years now, you know, um, they've done, they've had two video games that are basically this exact same time explaining the exact same thing. So because I've been exposed to so much other transformers lore, like 
I know about all of this. I get, you know, and I, and I like it just like they, just like they're doing with Star Wars. They're trying to tie it up into this nice little manageable uh, box with the bow on it. But I've been around long enough that I've seen it go in all the different directions. And I've already picked what things I like about all those different directions. I don't need them to try to wrap it up for me and, and be like, you remember the cartoon when you were a kid? This is how it happened. I'm like, I've already heard all these stories. I've already heard all the different storylines they've plucked from to make this cartoon. So, so it's I would too much of a retread be... for a for a real fan, uh, but then just far too boggy for a casual fan. Exactly. That's what I kind of feel like. Mm-hmm. All right. Marky, you fall right in between these two camps, I imagine. Yeah, I was definitely a huge fan think, when I was a finger kid. Cups? I was a huge fan. I don't get that reference. But I was a huge fan when I was a kid. Doc and, and Jimmy. And then, uh, um, you know, I I lost touch with it, right? Um, I will always love Optimus Prime. I will always love Transformers. So the thing about the toys is that it starts for us when we're kids, and it starts with us when they get to Earth, right? That's just what Slick said. That's yeah. what the, yeah. that's when the that's when the toys yeah. Optimus have, Prime can't be a semi until he's on Earth, right? So that's what why it, that's do what I care? Something. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. And this, they just slap some headlights on the top. He has headlights on the bottom, headlights on the top, and he looks exactly like an Earth mode Optimus Prime. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's one of my little beasts with. <laughs> they, and they obviously didn't do that with the uh, with the planes. Uh, what are they called in the movie? The uh, searchers, seekers, seekers. Yeah, yeah. and um, so yeah, I mean, there's 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 always some inconsistencies with transforming uh, robots, you know. But yeah. what I was getting at is is you know we all know it when they get to Earth, and we all understand that it's. It's a civil war, and that's why they get to Earth, and that's when the action starts, as far as we're all we're all concerned. But a lot of us don't really know the ins and outs of the mythos, and why did why were they fighting each other? And they also well, have. Can a lot you tell of, me real quickly? Did you learn that? Well, I don't even think that it's even gotten to that yet. Oh, really, you know, I think it's I think it's getting there, you know, and so just to kind of talk about this series and what I think they're trying to go for is that this is not a typical series. This is not a a TV show in the traditional sense. These are basically this is a trilogy. And each is broken up into six chapters. So a trilogy miniseries. It's a it's a trilogy or a trilogy mini- of miniseries. Yeah, and so it's going to cover the war for Cybertron. That's it. <laughs> and the war so, for Cybertron involves a lot of them on Earth transforming into Earth vehicles. Nope, they're not as far. I don't know if they're going to go to Earth. I haven't gotten to the end yet. I've only seen four of the six episodes. I think they are going to get off and go to Earth. That's that's my. That's what I'm waiting for. And maybe season two or season three, which is also part two and part three, maybe that'll be a little bit more for what Slick wants or what Jimmy's looking for. We don't know yet. But right now, the way that they 
built this show, first of all, they went for a anime style of animation. It's very, very good. It's a beautiful-looking uh, piece. And I thought that the actual presentation of the Transformers, I thought it was gorgeous. Optimus Prime looks like Optimus Prime. It doesn't look like the Michael Bay monstrosity. <laughs> All these tears and this fire paint and just this nonsense. Uh, Slick, uh, what did you think about the actual you know, uh, presentation of the Transformers, the actual animation? I dug it. Um, so this was, this is the uh, most accurate that the models, the animation models have ever looked to the toys because they actually use the CAD engineering drawings from the toys to do the animation. Um, but with that, Toys, Transformer toys have always been like a little boxy and, and I mean, they literally made their arms hinge at where the toys hinge. And so it looked, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but it looked a little robotic. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy, what's another way to pronounce that? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say robotic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds ridiculous to say this, but yeah, the movements were just a little too robotic. Like I, you know, they're these sentient beings and they're gladiators and all this. I don't expect them to like, you know, be doing the robot twenty four seven. Did you kind of notice how they're like they're like middle sections like kind of like wavy, like it, yeah. Like they actually kind of breathed a little bit. Yeah, and that was another weird thing. You know, it's. Oh, but that was. You were just complaining about the opposite. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I'm just poking them right now. (laughs) So it's one of those things. It's this really like odd dichotomy of like, you know, it's the same thing. Like, I'd love to hear more about the Transformers. But God, this just went on and on and on about the Transformers. <laughs> like, shoot people. So after 25 <laughs> minutes, you wanted to hear less about the Transformers and just see something. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm that finicky fanboy where you're never going to make me happy. But I find the good in everything in my life and Transformers and Star Wars and whatever. So um, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the models. I enjoyed the animation. Uh, the music. This, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and and this is you know, I didn't notice it. So in Dan's eyes, that's <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a, a good thing. thing yep. right? Yeah, Because um, if so, I had done uh, the music, you motherfuckers would have heard it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> let me ask you, Slick. Uh, since you and I are the only ones who have uh, watched it all the way to the end, so this is going to be a bit of a spoiler for anybody listening, and 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 for Mark and Dan. But what do you think of? I don't. Uh, I, don't I don't think you should say it because I, 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 I don't really want to spoil it for people. I feel the like the good prime. Now yeah, you can say it. I really don't. I don't. I don't really want to. As a bit of a tragic hero, having uh, to make that decision that that at least for me does seems a bit out of character. 
Yeah. Um, and he, I, did he kill Zod at the end? You got to ask Uncle Mark if I can tell you. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's one of those things. I I think this entire series tries to put a really adult, real, really serious storytelling kind of mentality to these characters where I think most people, me included, just want to see some shoot-em-ups, you know, want to see cool vehicles and cool robots taking each other out, acting heroic. And like you say, you know, there, there's definitely those instances, but, you know, there, there's anti-heroes in this, there's treachery, you know, yeah, there's all... I like that things. about them. But also, but also, can't you just go watch any Intrigue. of the other... 30 different versions of this cartoon to get that. I mean, you know, like there's plenty of that. I feel like Michael Bay delivered in spades. If you just want robots shooting each other, you know, doing like he definitely delivered that, which we all thought we wanted. And now as a community, we said, all right, tone it down. And now maybe (laughs) they've turned the dial too far and they're doing like, I don't know, uh, like a breaking bad take. It, well, it yeah. just, it, that's what I want to. I, I don't see why it. About um, it. it doesn't all have to be one way or the other. It can all exist, right? So if you like the shoot 'em up no, no, stuff, no. see, that's, see, that's where you're you. wrong, Mark. Because here's the one thing I know about Transformers: more than meets the eye. That's very true. They are at best robots in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, very true. So maybe by their very nature. They're always trying to pull two desperate halves together, which is why either they look too much like a robot or they look way too much like a uh, like, like a, a car? cartoon version of someone wearing a Transformer robot suit. You know? <laughs> yeah, and you're going to complain what... either way. You can't even find a middle ground, which Michael Bay obviously spent hundreds of millions of dollars trying to I, do. I just – you're right, and I just didn't want to – you know, this – particular format which again is it's telling one story it's in three parts and each part is its own micro series and it's going to tell a story from beginning to end you know this is uh, this is the one way that they've decided to tell this particular story and yeah it may not be for everybody but what they were going for i think i get it and it's done really well the animation is top-notch. The music is great. The voices are great. The performances are great. The action that I've seen is great. And I like all the twists and turns where you got the backstabbing and you got the treachery. Um, I like the little uh, spin that they put on Bumblebee, which I don't want to spoil any, any, anything because I'm not that that type of host. But um, <laughs> there is a... There, there is is a definitely not the rumor. Uh, <laughs> There is a cool way that they presented the backstory of uh, Bumblebee, who is a sacred character in the Michael Bay franchise. I mean, he actually got his own movie. He's the only Transformer that's got his own movie. Yep. So and he's kind of cool. A, he's got a better Rotten Tomato score than any other Transformer out there. At this point. <laughs> yeah. That's the best movie, by the way. That's a really yeah. good movie. Yeah. 
so, yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's all out there for you uh, just because this particular one exists and it's not exactly what you're looking for in Transformers doesn't take away the fact that all that other stuff is still there. You can always go see it. If you want the same old, same old, just go watch the old. <laughs> and it, and it <laughs> sounds to me, as someone who hasn't seen it yet, talking to the three of you, because I get uh, Mama Bear, Papa Bear, and Baby Bear. It sounds like it is aiming for a real centrist approach, which is working for the center. And with the Transformers having been around for so long, uh, but still able to grab um, new uh, viewers, maybe this is a smart move. I think this is the Christopher Nolan version of Transformers. It's really dark, really deep. You know, it's just, it's taking the character into... Much... I almost thought this was enough of this, but now that I've got Jimmy Lazinski, our Batman expert, and Slick McFavorite, our Transformer expert, and you've brought up this whole Christopher <laughs> Nolan Transformer connection. All right, boys. Uh, Jimmy, I'm going to let you address that first. Is this better viewed through a Christopher Nolan lens? The Transformers saga? Yes. No, through a Christopher this Nolan lens? Now, no. Like, this do you think it works start- as, like, trying to mature it, grow it up, and pull it out of the uh, comic books? Also not, makes them more rich. Not for me. Like, that's what I was going to say is that this kind of leans into the trend of all the comic book properties are getting too, a little too adult now. And there's all the swearing and um, adult situations and some nudity and not so much on this show, but they are definitely more taking an adult approach at the storytelling. And uh, so that that's, you know, it's this show is clearly made by uh, fans who liked it as kids. And now that they're adults, they're telling the stories that they want to tell. Good. You're describing so, our audience. Excellent. Uh, slick. Am so I right? My, so my my opinion of it is. No one balances the storytelling with the action better. I think that's the main uh, thing is this is too much storytelling and not enough action. The balance isn't there. So that's the difference is, you know, all of the Nolan Batmans are, you know, you, you get some really deep stuff, some really good, and then wham, a hospital blows up, you know, you're, well, you that was in part amazing, two, no, well, still, I, well, yeah. I'm not, I, yeah, this I'm not, is. I'm not saying this is, I'm not comparing you against Batman begins versus, you know, the dark Knight. but, um, now to ping pong this further, going back to Jimmy as a Batman fan, did you like the action in the Nolan movies? Did they have enough? And was it good Batman action? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. So the balance was oh, yeah. there oh, yeah. for both ends of the spectrum. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was good. I mean, it was right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd watch that. I'd watch that again. Uh-huh. Sure. And uh, just to kind of bring this home, this is still just the first part of a three-part story. So we don't yeah. know how this is going to turn out. Slick, yeah. are you going to stick the, the through The Transformers or, Heath Ledger role problem? has yet to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's that's very right. true. Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, I'm I'm going to consume anything Transformers. <laughs> on that, on that, on that dweeb. Um, yeah. And this was but, only uh, three hours of your life, anyway. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, In the end, this whole so, endeavor is just going to be a Godfather-length trilogy. Yeah. So. And and here's some kind of interesting information. Here's the rumor mill. Here's the Transformers community. If you want want to know. So we've already gotten the Siege toys. Um, now, of course, they repainted these and made them, like, dirty and gritty. Um, but we already got the Siege toys. So the next line they did was called Earthrise. And so now it's back to all of their Earth modes, like the original cartoon. So Ooh. at the ah, end, so they are going to Earth. Toys yeah. always and leak the, 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 the exactly. show spoilers. Um, and now we've also seen a poster, which, of course, no one's confirmed or denied. We saw a poster where the third series is going to be called Kingdom. And if you didn't know, after, after the Transformers cartoon in the 80s, the first new Transformers property was called Beast Wars. And it was a 3D animation a la reboot, kind of that quality, that era of 3D animation cartoon. But still um, one of the first a, ones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, all about how they were, they transformed into live animals and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I'm interested. Like I say, I'm, of course, buying the toys because I love the characters and I like the engineering and blah, blah, blah. But... It, it, um, it kind of sounds like uh, this second part, the second season, is going to be the 84 cartoon season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, go, to, go to a Target or a Walmart right now. You will find an Optimus Prime that you will swear, I had that as a kid, because that's what everybody always thinks when it yeah. looks exactly like what they thought they had as a kid. But you can buy one right now. Well, the Optimus Prime in the show is based on the original CAD specifications, so the toy based on this new cartoon should be based on the same CAD. Now, not this Siege one, because the Siege one, the toys came out a year ago. I don't know if this is just bad timing or what. I don't know if COVID, but I mean... These toys came out a year ago, so if you wanted these toys, you can't right actually... Right after they wrap production on Season 2, Transformers Pandemic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but now they have the Earth Rise one, so you can get a Bumblebee like you remember Bumblebee. You can get a Prime like you remember Prime. You could get Starscream, not as this weird, what they're called Tetra Jets when they're on Cybertron, because they're these weird, like, pyramid jets. Uh, but right now you can go get a star screen that's an F-14, you know, like he was in the original show. So, if you're curious. So, yeah, so that's where it's going to evolve to, you know. And I you heard it, heard it here first. <laughs> unless you listen to uh, Open Your Toys last week, most likely. I was going to say, unless you've been listening to my show, it, it was about <laughs> six months ago. <laughs> guys are listening to this they might hear our show first and then and then hear about your show open your toys and then go listen to that yes like let's be realistic about this uh anyway uh, what what else have we got to cover because i feel 
so transformered out. Like I'm full. I have I have transformers up to here, y'all. Yeah, I'd say for the for the layman we've probably beaten this horse pretty pretty serious. Uh, yeah. So this is it, eh? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. No, this is weird because I want to ask if anyone has anything to uh, to plug. Marky, you got anything in the pipeline? Uh, no, just listen to this podcast that you're listening to right now. It'll be out when you're listening to it. And I and, and, we, uh, and I swear you're almost done. <laughs> <laughs> Slick, what do you want to plug? Oh, I'll plug my shit. If you want to. If you want to listen to uh, grown men talk about little plastic toys, trans, four, and we have a feeling years. a lot of you will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we cover Transformers, GI Joe, Star Wars, and Masters of the Universe, or, or He Man's. Um, uh, you can go to OpenYourToys.com or go to YouTube slash OpenYourToys. And, uh, yeah, we do a live broadcast on YouTube uh, every Sunday. It's available via podcasts, all your favorite stuff, Stitcher, blah, blah, blah. So OpenYourToys.com. I'll, I'll double plug that because I've been on a couple episodes over the years. Uh, it's probably been about a decade, but, you know, I just sounded, uh, you know, sexier back then. Anyway, so <laughs> it's worth looking to the okay. – uh, I mean, quite possibly, could Maya show been a little bit of an inspiration for this one? I think you were on my show multiple times before you started your own podcast. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and it was probably by the third time, I think, uh, Marquis and I were like, well, we could do that better. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing for the next 40 minutes? <laughs> Jimmy, plug away. Uh, plug away. You can check out the Powcast on this very network if you like That's right. Batman and specifically Batman 66 related content and uh, fun guys like me and ladies. And this is going to sound about like, that sort of uh, like I'm being check facetious, but I swear the to God, Powcast. Jimmy's Powcast, and I'm sure. It, and if you subscribe to us, there's all it's already in your uh, in your feed. Uh, it's it blew me away as someone who has sat in front of the computer trying to produce episodes. The amount of work that went into this makes my ears bleed, Jimmy. And I mean that in such a good way. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the desired result, but yeah. Style, content, and high production value. Uh, don't expect that a lot, but you can find it here at least in the podcast. Uh, and I know you're with the uh, it's you know. free and worth every penny. <laughs> oh man, you guys! Uh, I do want to say you guys can always catch up with us. We do have a show support website. It's at mattyp.radio.com. M a t t y p as in Paul radio.com. What's that address uh, again? Mattyp.radio.com. You can follow me. M a t t t y. P R A D I O at Stay Classy S D C C, um, and I do. I am a proud member of Team Follow Back. So if you follow me, I'll follow you. 
That's why I have a thousand of each. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy the hell out of it. <laughs> Dead even. Um, so, yeah, guys, thank you so much for this. All right. Well, that's that's it. That's the first episode of Season 8. I feel like we've reached out. We've celebrated. We've had our controversial moments. Uh, and in the end, we've all come together to remember that we're in this as one big team or something, right? There's a lesson. <laughs> don't steal from your parents. It's somewhere in there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, t- t- yeah. Okay, that's about enough of this. And now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Oh, this is enough of this. <laughs>